host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert. Ryan, what's going on, man? Oh, not a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just got back from your big trip. I did. Uh, yeah. Which we will, we'll talk about it in the back half of the show. Okay. We're going to do a full, we're going to do a full, uh, a retrospective, a, a, a mullet arena deep dive and breakdown here in the PDO cast. So looking forward Sounds to that. Good. Let's start talking about the Oilers though. Cause you recently wrote about them already be ringside a big piece on them. And I, I actually in thinking back, I feel like I haven't necessarily talked that much about them on the show so far this season. Done it kind of in passing here or there, but certainly haven't done a full breakdown breakdown by any means. And they're having a an interesting season to say the least, right? Like I, I'm my initial inclination is to be like, well, it's the same as it ever was. But I actually think that there's some kind of like unique circumstances so far this season where it actually is, at least statistically, a bit different than it was um, you know, last year or in the past, whenever this team's kind of struggled. Yeah, for sure. Um I, I guess the big thing is that everybody thought it was going to be different this year. They went out and they got the goaltending that, you know, we've kind of felt they were lacking for the last few years. And they, you know, they were going to get a full season of Evander Kane or so they thought. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe there was also some thinking that like some people would step up on the back end and, uh, you know, like Darnell Nurse would have a better season and they'd be able to deploy Tyson Barry more effectively and that kind of thing, and it just it didn't happen. Well, here's the thing. Even after utterly just curb stomping the Anaheim Ducks last night. They uh, did, yeah. A team that, as a society, we've uh, I think we've progressed past the need for. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. we... Sure. This, this version of the Ducks uh, will revisit in the future, but certainly this... Uh, Dallas Eakins version. We don't need it anymore. They're still getting outscored at five on five for the year. The Oilers are. And I Doesn't think the, me. the thing that the thing, the reason why I wanted to talk about them was you see all these think pieces, right. And all these Oilers beat reporters were writing about who they should be targeting, what this team needs. And it's kind of just regurgitating the same old tropes and same old stories that they've basically written for the past five years. Right. It's like, yeah, they need to get tougher. They need to get more physical. They need to work on their, on their, defensive on on thing to get a defensive defenseman basically or like the archetype the traditional thing we think of when we think of that player yeah. and the framing of that is just so off to me right because you look at it and it all it all works from this kind of diluted idea that they're all set offensively they have Connor McDavid they have Leon Draisaitl they're good they're going to score enough goals and, yeah. and and for me that just hasn't really been the case right like i know they're scoring a lot of goals in all situations because they literally have the most efficient power play we've seen Ever, all the all the, all the data yeah. we have going back to 2007 certainly right like well the, i i think their their rate is like higher than the canadians rate when they were like okay we have to change the rules of how power plays work like they have a higher power play percentage than those teams or at least they did the last time i looked at this sort of thing yeah, and the so like historically good power play, and well, yet, well, the eighteen nineteen Lightning, the team that won what sixty two games or whatever, yeah, they had eleven point five goals per sixty on the power play, which was the high water mark previously. This Oilers team is operating at twelve point six goals per sixty. It's it's literally it's the crazy. best we've ever seen. The five on five, it's kind of helped mask the the reality though that the five on five offense has been deeply troubling and like just genuinely not good enough. They're 19th in goals per 60 at 5 on 5 as a team. According to Corey Schneider's tracking, they're 16th in the league 
in shots off the rush at five on five, which to me seems almost impossible because they have the greatest, like the singular greatest rush player we've ever seen. Yeah. And Conor McDavid literally leads the league in individual scoring chances off the rush this season, yet as a team, even accounting for that, they're 16th, they're middle of the pack, which I can't, like you almost can't reconcile those two unless you take a step back and realize, wow, there's some really like deep-rooted internal flaws here that go well beyond, well, we're good offensively because we're scoring a lot of goals because a lot of the game is played at 5-on-5 and just relying on your power play to bail you out every single night is not a very great strategy, I don't think. I mean, it is if you can reliably draw penalties and like just go, well, we'll score on, you know, more than one in every three. But I I don't know, like, you know, you hear all the time, well, playoff hockey, they don't call penalties or whatever. I think that's not really true. I think like the data shows that that's not really true. They actually call more penalties in the playoffs a lot of the time. But you know who I think doesn't draw enough penalties, and I've said this a million times, it's Connor McDavid, right? Yeah. Like, for how fast he is, how good he is on the rush and, and all this kind of stuff, and how much he just has the puck on his stick, this guy doesn't draw penalties. And I think that's, you know, we've talked about it a million times. Like, uh, refs just go, well, you're a star player, get through it. And this is the only sport that really does that. But at the same time, it's like, I just pulled up the the numbers from Natural Stat Trick. When McDavid is on the ice at five on five, they are plus three in goals. Uh, when it, oh, I'm sorry. When it's McDavid and Drysidle, they're plus three in goals. When it's just McDavid, dead even. When it's just Drysidle, minus three, and when it's everybody else, minus two. Right. So like McDavid is plus three on the season. Drysidle is minus three, and everybody else is minus two. Like. They're not, I guess the real problem here a little bit is McDavid isn't outscoring the competition like he usually does, right? And so that is making everybody else go, oh, we have major problems here. Uh, but it's not really... Well, um, here's the thing, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're up 34 to 31, as you said. Like, that's... They're scraping by in terms of on the scoreboard with McDavid on the ice. They also have fifty nine percent of the high danger chances and fifty six percent of the expected sure. goals. Right, like part of that is definitely they are not getting saves this year. They got yeah. saves last year. Say what you want about uh, the guys they had; they had above average goaltending in the league. And I, I guess my point is, I just looked it up last year when McDavid was on the ice. The Oilers were plus twenty six. Mm-hmm. You know, and like is just the bad goaltending enough? I, my kind of thing here is. Without Evander Kane, this whole team has fallen apart. Yep. Like, it's it's really that simple. Before Evander Kane gets hurt, McDavid has, like, a huge number of primary assists per 60, and now it's, like, a quarter of what it was uh, since the, the Kane injury. Um, before uh, Kane got hurt, he was playing with Dreisaitl less than 20% of the time at 5-on-5. Five five. Since Kane got hurt, it's over 50%. And which just gives you even more time that these guys who are lower in the lineup and can't outscore their opponents at all are out are out there. Like those guys are out there more because McDavid and Dreisaitl are out there together instead of two separate lines. Yeah, well, and and when when Woodcroft took over last year, one of the big changes he made beyond like kind of you know 
optimizing the offense, less point shots, like funneling everything through McDavid and Dre Settlemore was doing what we wanted all along, which was, all right, I'm going to split these guys up more and they're going to play less. And it's going to be more efficient when they're on the ice. We're not going to just like lean on them and just be this one trick pony and everything kind of came together for them. And then now they're reverting back to that. And just think about the sentence you just said, like without Evander Kane around, they've fallen apart. Like if that to me demonstrates not only like the deeper rooted issues, but like how the flaws in the construction, right? It's for like, sure. A hundred percent. The yeah. goaltending is an issue, but I I think that's an entirely separate thing. I think the other reason why they're only plus three with McDavid is because quite frankly, there just isn't enough finishing talent around this yep. group, which seems yep. crazy to say, but it's true. And not having a Vander Kane. And then all of a sudden that being this massive issue, like that's, that's not good enough. And McDavid so, is uh, shooting the puck uh, uh, like, you know, 15% more now that uh, Kane is out of the lineup. He's generating more uh, individual expected goals by, you know, a, a, a decent percentage. And that speak that again speaks to like the, the, the lack of maybe faith he has in his not Evander Kane line mates, like, oh, I got to do this all myself, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, oh, I, I'm not saying, but like, goals. Yeah. But it is. It is an indictment yes. of what the Oilers have put together around the greatest player of his generation and a guy who, you know, Drysital. Frankly, apart from the points and mostly the power play points, he's not having a good year. Here, here, here it is. When he's not playing with McDavid this year, uh, like I said, they've been outscored by three, which I don't think anybody would have seen coming. But uh, 45% of the expected goals, 44% of the scoring chances, 49% of the high dangers. Like when Leon Dreisaitl is on the ice, the Oilers have to be better than this. And that's not like a McDavid problem. That's a Leon Dreisaitl problem. Well, and last I checked, when they play him and Hyman together in particular, they're just getting like absolutely eviscerated offensively. Yeah, I, and I and I have to think this is this is the classic thing of we've talked ourselves into this guy is a good defensive player. Yes, you know, as opposed yeah. to is he actually? Well, I mean, I haven't looked into that, but it feels like he is. You know, he kills penalties sometimes, so how could he not be good defensively? And it's like, well, I mean, watch the game tape, right? Well, here's the point that I want to make to tie this all together. So there's this account on, on Twitter, NHL underscore Sid, which is my favorite Oilers follow for my money. I highly recommend checking out his work. Done a great job of, of drawing the connection and kind of hammering this point home. Um, I think the big part of why these numbers just aren't lining up in terms of like how good McDavid is individually been and how we think of this team offensively and why their 5-1-5 play hasn't been good enough is because their defensemen are not nearly good enough at yeah, getting them the puck, like breaking the puck out of the zone, right? Yep. And that's the point that I wanted to make here was you see all these pieces and it's like, well, the Oilers are giving up a lot of goals. Their goaltending is struggling. They need to improve the defense once again. Joel Edmondson is the guy. And obviously that's flawed logic for so many reasons. Okay. But I think especially like beyond Joel Edmondson and what you think of him as a player and what the exorbitant price they'd have to pay for him is – it's just not the type of player they need. Like they, they need someone who's a good player that can move the puck and help them in that specific area. Because for this team to be 16th in rush shots, when they have Connor McDavid, 
cannot be acceptable and they need players who can help them move the puck in the right direction more frequently. And so whether that's Jacob Chikrin or whether that's someone else you want to identify, I'm not saying that offense is the only thing they need to address, but it's just so strange to me how all of this is being sort of like massaged and how like everything is being framed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember four or five, maybe even longer than that ago, like one, one of the first few seasons with McDavid, and everybody's talking about like, oh, he spent so much time in his defensive zone and, and you know, he's got to get better defensively and stuff like that. And I just remember making the point, like, the reason he's spending so much time in his defensive zone is that he feels like he has to go back 200 feet and then carry the puck 200 feet, right? Yep. Like, that, the amount of pressure that he, that all great players put on themselves to like perform and earn, earn the contract and earn you know the captaincy or whatever you want to say like McDavid has to be doing that and back then and maybe even now it kind of manifests as uh well if I don't do x y and z literally nobody else out there can do it yeah I mean it, it is that simple but it's still after all these years we're still here right and I don't know I I, I guess I should throw this in as well I'm, I'm I'm not sure if you saw um Mark Spector did a big deep dive of Jacob Chikrin and whether he's the right piece for the Oilers. Let me guess, was, he's not. It was a hilarious article. Well, so here's the thing, right? And you said they need a, a puck move, right? Obviously, don't disagree with you. But I think what I would say is the price for Chikrin is so high. And look, like, it's not as though the Oilers, like, Oh, we couldn't possibly like now is the time to go hog wild on the trade market. Right. I, I totally yeah. understand that. But my thing is like, you got to maximize what you're getting with McDavid. And I guess what you're not getting with McDavid uh, kind of says what that story is, right? Like Evander Kane, uh, he goes out and the complete, the entire team falls. Not that they were like, world beaters when Evander Kane was in the lineup earlier this year, but you know, yes. Uh, to me, like I, I, I kind of, I look at the defensemen who are available at a semi reasonable price, right? Because the other thing is the Oilers really like they have uh, prospects, but they don't have like unbelievable prospects that maybe Arizona would want. Um, I, I think I, I would go out and, and target like a middle six forward who actually has like a history of finishing. Um, and you're going to pay probably less for that than you do for a, a Chikrin or, or, you know, who's another, who's even another puck moving defenseman that's like widely available in the market and is going to move the needle for you. Like, I don't know that. I don't know if there's a good answer to that question. I guess, I Swingberg? guess. I just, well, wow. I think that's going like too far the other way. I, I guess I, I, I question whether the price is too much on Chikrin, right? It's like, all right, a couple picks, which I understand there's an opportunity cost involved. Certainly you can, it's like, you can use those picks to get a different type of player, but in reality, holding on to those picks and being like, we need to make these draft picks. It's valuable to us. It's like, well, those players yeah. will not make an impact during Connor McDavid and Leandre Seidel's prime. For sure. No, I, I get what you're saying. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that uh, unless the Oilers are like, we don't because they want you know reportedly like a couple of first round picks which the Oilers do have and like some A prospects which I'm saying like the Oilers kind of don't have right 
Like, yeah. unless you're saying Dylan Holloway, but then you also, because the Oilers are so capped out, they also have to, like, get the Coyotes to take a bad contract. And it's like, well, they already did that for you, right? They took That's the true. Zach Cassian contract off your books. Why would they do it again unless you're really making it worth your their while? And I don't know that, like, there's there's at some point, like, the cost is too high no matter no matter what kind of, just because it's like, do the Oilers have what the coyotes are looking for versus what say the Kings have that the coyotes might be looking for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's certainly fair. I guess. Yeah. The question of like what type of player you want to identify is, is an interesting one to me. I, I and I think we're, I, it seems like we're on the same page. We're maybe approaching it from different angles, but like for me, it all comes back to, they need more talent whether that is a defenseman or a forward, right? Like it's, it's, that's what we're pushing back against this notion. They're like, no, they're all set. Now they need to add this specific niche type of like one dimensional defensive defenseman. It's like, no, you should spend your remaining assets on a player that can, is just the best player possible. Right. Regardless, regardless of position. Exactly. And so, you know, Joel Edmondson, that probably is Chikrin, right? At that I think point, but. I think I think it is, and 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 that's yeah. why I was mentioning the Spectre piece because it's like first off, I think we should ban people like passing off analysis on players they've clearly never watched before. It's like this whole piece frame Chikrin as like this offensive dynamo who's like a liability in his own zone. It's like have you no have watched haven't, haven't Jacob watched Chikrin play second, hockey? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's you're telling on yourself a little bit there, like. He's fine offensively. He's got good zone exit numbers, which is valuable for what I was just saying the Oilers need in terms Especially of breakout. Especially what the Oilers need, yeah. But he's also good in his own zone, particularly in that in-zone defending of like breaking up cycles, operating in front of his own net, which is also what they need. And that's why I identified him as like, you know, it seems kind of lazy to be like, well, the Oilers need a defenseman. Jacob Chikrin is the best one available. That's why they should get him. And then I was giving more thought in terms of what he specifically does and what they specifically need. And I was yeah. like, yeah. you know what? If it's a 2023 thir- first, 2024 first, let's say Philip Broberg, and then you use Tyson Berry's contract or something, if that's enough for the Coyotes, I'm fine with that. Like you, you know. Yeah. I mean? Okay. Yeah. If you're if you're saying that's the that's what you're giving up to get Chikrin for two years beyond this one, sold. No, that's not a problem to me. I, what I guess I'm saying is like. Ooh, if I'm the Coyotes, I'm like, there's got to be a better offer out there. As well, much as like Philip Broberg seems like he's fine, you know. I think if there was a better offer than that out there, they probably would have traded him by now. Honestly. Well, I guess will one materialize? Just because, well, I wrote about this yesterday, but like the other thing that I'm thinking about with this is selling teams aren't going to have a lot of leverage. There's a lot of teams that are going to be tanking or quasi tanking or whatever in the second half of the season because. We've really figured out, like, okay, here are, like, the, you know, 10 teams in each conference that are legitimately playoff competitive, and that means, like, there's only going to be a set number of buyers and way more sellers than we usually get, you know? Yeah. Um, and and it seems like all of them do have a defense when they kind of want to give away, but, like, to your point, I mean, the idea that, like, look, the Oilers are in trouble – if they miss the playoffs with McDavid and Dreisaitl at this point in their career, it's like an unmitigated disaster. It's a catastrophe. Yeah. We got to go out and get Jake McCabe. <laughs> we got to go. We got to get Gavrikov. It's yeah. got to happen. Like, what are we talking about here? I know. It's wild. Yeah. It's, 
man. I mean, McDavid's on pace for literally 150 points. That's not like rounding up. It's he. It's like 150.6 or something. I right was going to say, if anything, that's rounding down, right? Uh, like It's 150 points. They as a team are 10th in the Western point percentage, 5th in the Pacific. Now they're in this like jumble with the Preds, Avs, and Flames and really like one good week here or there takes you from the bottom of that to the top. So that's that's sure. a non-issue. But Dom's model at the Athletic has them at 64% to make the playoffs. And that's that's like a, a very dangerous game to be playing considering what's on the line, as you just said, in terms of how potentially missing would be catastrophic. And I don't know, man, you just look at it like McDavid has 35 goals, Trey Seidel is 23, Nugent Hopkins is 20, and Hyman has 20, right? And all those guys are just feasting on the power play. Yes. Their next leading goal scorer, can you guess who it is? It's it can't be Yessa, right? It's gotta no. be it's gotta be someone I'm not thinking oh, of. Oh god, yeah. I, I wish it was, but it's not. It's I not. wish it was too. Yeah. That would be great. The next leading goal scorer is Clem Costin with seven you, goals. You don't want to be in that situation and if five, you're a five, five of those seven have come since December 30th, including two last night against that Ducks team we just mentioned. So I mean, come on. Like let's honestly yeah, uh, I mean the the stat the stat for me from all of that is I don't, you know, they, they were doing perfectly well, but since the cane injury, they are 14, 12 and one, which is like a 91 point pace or something like that. And it's like, if the difference between you being a team, that's like, you know, we can even actually get to the Western conference final again, you know, and uh, we're a team that's going to miss the playoffs by six points is Evander Kane. Like that's crazy to me. When, when you look at who else is on this roster. I mean, the thing for me, though, is like, so you look at, like, they've been rolling out that nurse CC defense pair as their number one pair this year, right? Boy. And yeah, I mean, it was understandable to give nurse a bit of a free pass last postseason because he was clearly hurt, right? And so it was like, oh, he's getting beat out wide by the abs every single time. It's like, okay, well, yeah, those guys are really fast. And also he's playing, he's playing in the abs. Yeah, it's, it's okay. You watch this year, it's like, nope, that that pair is just getting absolutely feasted on every single time anyone comes at them with speed. And Nurse is a valuable player. He's making five million or five point six that he was last year. Now he's making nine point five. And right. it's like, okay. So it, at this point, you're already you're like in that deal no matter what. But for me, the reason why adding a guy like Chukran is also interesting is because him being a left shot defenseman. Is actually more valuable to this Oilers team than it is for most other teams out there because you know we always talk about how like oh you need right shot defensemen those are the premium assets, but in this case you add Trickerin, all of a sudden it allows you to potentially bump Nurse down a little bit. Maybe you get even more out of him. You're not asking him and CC to just basically play all the tough minutes against other teams' right. best players. And if 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 Chikrin really is a player that he's shown in Arizona he can be, all of a sudden. I think like there's that trickle down effect as well of like making other people better as well. Whereas if you add a forward and you're like, all right, we're going to add another finisher next to McDavid here. That's great. And you can maximize those minutes more, but does that really ultimately move the needle that much for, for anyone else in the lineup? It feels like everyone is kind of where they already were to begin with at that point. Right. It's kind of the opposite of like what the Boston Bruins are doing right now, where if you said, you know, two years into his new contract, Taylor Hall's a third liner for the Bruins. Everybody's like, right. yikes, that's horrible. And it's like, actually, no, like he's no, it's the, great. Greatest, it's awesome. he's the yeah. greatest third liner in the history of the NHL. And, um, you know, like there, 
the reason they are able to put him on the third line is because they don't need him on the top two lines and he is therefore dominating, right? And so you could say the same thing about Darnell Nurse, except to your point, they're paying him nine, nine and a half million bucks, whatever it is. And like, did you see this a couple of weeks ago? I don't remember who the player was, but there was someone on the ice being like, nine million dollars and you don't do anything out here. What yeah. What's happening with you? Like, just really like getting in his face, making fun of him. And it's like, you don't you don't want to be in a situation where guys are pointing out like you make too much money on the ice. You know, oh, I disagree. I wish you would come on here and well, make fun sure. of me for making too much money. What do you do? Sure. You're making nine point five million. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but, I mean, that is the ultimate trump card to that. It's like, yeah, you're making like four million. So yeah. I don't I don't really have to care what you think. But like that, whoever that NHLers point was is to me well taken of like. Why are they paying? Like, I mean, I said it at the time, but why are they paying him that money? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts. Um, okay. Well, yeah, that's kind of all I, all I, is there anything else in the others? I, I, I just really wanted, cause I've seen so much misinformation out there that I just wanted to, I wanted to have this conversation. I think it's important. I think if you see someone peddling Joel Edmondson as the answer, you really need to have your eyebrow raised in terms of what, what their agenda is, or at least like why, why they're saying yeah, that i don't because... even think it's i don't even think it's necessarily what their agenda is it's just like oh that guy like doesn't watch the same sport i do it seems like yeah you know what i mean like that would be my big takeaway on we need to go out like i said go out and get jake mccabe they're really targeting jake mccabe it's like i mean it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me that they are but yeah. certainly they shouldn't you shouldn't want that so yeah yeah okay well ryan we're gonna take a break here all right. And it's enough Oilers talk. When we come back, we're going to talk about a variety of other topics. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right. We're back here in the Hockey PDO cast with Ryan Lambert. So, Ryan, we did Oilers talk in part one. Uh, let's talk coyotes here now. I, I guess we we were talking about Jacob Chicken. Let's keep it going. Okay. Um, so you you made a uh, a little trip over to uh, to cover some college hockey, and you got to also watch some NHL action at Mullet Arena as well. Let's give mm-hmm. uh, let's give the listeners kind of a a peek behind the curtain because I, I haven't personally been. I've, I've obviously watched a bunch of the games they've played there so far this season on on TV, and uh, I know some of the listeners have, have gone as well and made and kind of experienced it for themselves, but. Let's have a let's kind of talk a little bit about it, what you saw there, what it was like, give us all the vibes, all that good stuff. Yeah. So um kind of my pitch for going down there was like I've been to easily like hundreds and hundreds of college hockey games throughout my life. And so to see an NHL game in a college arena, like I wanted to know if that really felt as insane as it sounds on paper, right? And so the first thing I did, well, like you said, I went to watch college hockey. There was uh, Arizona State hosted a tournament featuring uh, maybe probably the most notable team is Boston University, which has obviously like uh, a number of drafted players and, and, you know, guys who who had big uh, world juniors like Lane Hudson for for the U.S. Um, And I just so like my first experience there was seeing college hockey and what it felt to me like being in that arena was this is like a perfectly 
like average to slightly above average college hockey arena that I've been to. You know, it's not unbelievable, you know, but it's re- it's nice. And uh, the atmosphere is nice and, and the game presentation, they do a good job and all that sort of thing. Like, I don't know. Again, like I can't divorce myself from I've seen all these college hockey games and all these different types of arenas. Um, so I can't really say like, oh, it, you know. I never thought I would see high level hockey in a building like this because I see high high ish level hockey in a building like this all the time. Right. Yep. But I really it's true that I could not get over. Oh, I'm on the concourse right now and Sidney Crosby is 30 feet from me. You know what I'm saying? Like it really was, you know, they they warmed up in the end that. Uh, so this is, the I guess, the thing that I should say is uh, the press box, quote unquote. At, at mullet arena is just a little roped off area on the concourse where we have like tables and stools we can sit on, you know? Yeah. Um, and so literally like the last row of seats in mullet arena, and there's only 12 rows of seats up from the ice, which is crazy. Uh, but the last row of seats, like that's right in front of where I was. So like I had some teenagers standing up in front of me the entire game. Right. Um, Were you but telling them to sit down? You know, I wasn't. Um, right. I don't want to, like, I never want to be the guy, like the old guy who's like, hey, stop having fun at this game. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, it was that was a, a certainly unique experience just to be, like, that close to the ice. Because most college hockey rinks I go to, you know, even though you're, you're never that far from the ice, you're certainly farther than that. You know, this is only a 5,000-seat arena. That would, I, that kept it out, keeps it out of the top 20, in in college hockey in terms of capacity so that's how small this arena is you know well it's interesting i i I think the the viewing experience from watching it on tv or on my laptop how i watch my games i've enjoyed it i it's 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 certainly unique i I get that you know what what was the capacity 4600 for nhl games 46 for nhl games Yeah. yeah I, I just, the thing I don't get is like, is people being like getting all sanctimonious about it, right? Like, this is a joke. It's like, all right, well, well have you it, watched? It, it, I am sympathetic to that view. Have it is watched... a joke a little bit. Okay. Well, have those same people, have you watched any Coyotes games from the past, like two or three years before that? Because right. I, I would argue that it's not any more of a joke than what was happening previously. At least right. this is like having fun and kind of making the most of a obviously bad situation. If you might want to make the large argument, it's like, all right, none of this should be happening in the first place. And even what was happening in the past couple of years shouldn't. That's another thing. But acting as if this is like some sort of like, all right, this is the final straw. It's not straw. a bridge it's like, too far. Right? No, it's like, this is much better than the past couple of years. I mean, this is an organization that's operated as more of a shell company than a professional hockey team for, <laughs> for years. Like, I, sure. I think act, acting as if it's like, oh, they're a professional hockey team playing in a, in a, in not even a top 20 college arena. It's like, all right. Are, are they a professional hockey team? Like, it, they're certainly a group of hockey players. I, I, yeah. I, I, I think it's totally fine. Clearly not a long-term solution, but, like, well, I think some perspective is important. Yeah, and the thing I, I would say, too, is I was struck by how much it is just the Coyotes are playing in Arizona State's arena. There is not a lot of, like, right. Coyotes stuff, like, up on the walls or anything like that. Everything is Arizona State. Um, and then like they have the logo at center ice and that's really about it for like permanent signage or anything like that, that I really saw. There might've been something that I missed, but I walked 
all around that arena for three straight days. And if I missed anything, it couldn't have been that big is basically um, how, how I how I felt about it. And and that to me, that's what felt insane. Right. Like because yeah. I've been to NHL preseason games in small buildings, AHL buildings, college buildings, that kind of thing. They do happen, you know, every year, basically. Um, but it do- does feel very much like, well, sure. I mean, they're just here, you know, for this game and then they're leaving. Yeah. You know, well, do you, do you think that is a, a feature or a bug in the sense that like, do you think in like, not an ideal world, but I guess if they had their say, would they be playing up the coyotes kind of like decor more, or it feels like part of the appeal or part of the the selling point for at least this season before it kind of gets gets old and you're like all right well what's the long-term solution here is like all right we've got this like section of of college students and like this is like a whole like it, it is a it is a unique experience you're not going to trick anyone into being like no this is a twenty thousand seat nhl arena sure so yeah. it, it, it it in that sense like it feels like that's kind of par for the course for me or it's like it's it's not i get what you're saying it's like they're not playing 41 home games technically because it doesn't feel like that. But I mean, it's kind of part of the deal. Yeah. Like I, I guess my, my major takeaway here is I get why, especially like NHL players would be like, this is a joke. This is ridiculous. You know, like uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but someone on the sharks after they played there the other night had a quote was like, I mean, it was a unique atmosphere and that was cool, but like, what I'd rather have is them selling out like a twelve thousand seat arena, right? Because like uh, escrow and stuff like that, which yeah. totally makes sense. Which also um, isn't an option. Correct. Yeah, but like, I, if you're like, I'm just saying as an NHL guy. Yes. Yeah. How many game? How many trips to Mullet Arena do you get to before you're like, man, this sucks? You know what I mean? Because like, it can't be zero. Like. And it also can't be an infinite number. Like you're going to get sick of it. Right. Oh, that's um, probably two, right? First one's cool. Second one is like, all right. Yeah, that, cool. that's right. Yeah. Um, I, I talked to a couple of uh, penguins after, after the uh, game on Sunday who had played college hockey. And I was like, what do you think? And they were like, took me back a hundred percent. But I, I think it was, the quote was from Brian Russ where, where he was basically like, Obviously, it's extenuating circumstances. I think they're making the best they possibly can out of it. Um, and and, may, and maybe Jason Zucker was even like, I actually think they did as good of a job as they could, really. Um, like, I went, you know, obviously into the the visiting rooms that, they, you know, they had to build the separate building to house the NHL uh, dressing rooms. Um, and I went in there, and it seemed perfectly nice. Like, maybe even a little better than what, a lot of visiting setups are around the league, frankly. Um, n- n- certainly, maybe not even the majority anymore, but I've definitely been in worse visiting rooms than than what I went to uh, this weekend. And, and you like, have, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, then you asked Sidney Crosby for his thoughts on it, and he was like, oh, you get pucks in deep, take it one shift at a time. You're That's like, what? right. Wait, what? <laughs> this is going to shock you. Sidney Crosby did not make himself available to the media wow. after that game. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, I I frankly purposely didn't talk to any Coyotes players, even the ones who played college hockey, because I was like, they're not going to say, they're going to be like, it's cool, I love it. You know, like, like what's Clayton Keller, a guy who played at a nicer rink, quite frankly, when he was at Boston University, 
Like, what's Clayton Keller going to say? I think this is the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole professional. No, of course not. But he he's going to be like, yeah, it's unique. It's it's nice. Like you're, the thing you're saying about like Crosby just giving like the blandest quote imaginable. You're not going to get a good quote out of a guy who plays for the Coyotes about this. So I didn't even try try quite frankly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is there anything else on on mullet? Um, um no, I guess not. I, I like like I, I I you know what? No, let me say this too. Yeah. Part of the reason this works for the Coyotes is that they're going to sell. Let's say they're going to sell. 3,000 tickets to like diehard Coyotes fans, guys who go to, if they don't have season tickets, go to four or five games a year minimum, right? They're going to sell 3,000 tickets to those people. And the difference is what one Coyotes fan I talked to was like when the Canadians were here, it was like 85% Coyotes fans. Right. And you're ne- that's never happened before. As long as I've been going to Coyotes Canadians games, those people don't like greatly outnumber us basically. Yep. And I would say the Penguins game was maybe 60, 40 Penguins fans. But I talked to a Penguins fan who was like, yeah, it's usually like 70, 30, 75, 25, you know? And so like that helps the Coyotes too. It does feel more like a home game. So that that's good for them, I guess. Not ideal, but yeah. Um. Okay. Let's, let's pivot. I want to talk a bit about say, kind of like the, the, the trade deadline and sort of sellers and buyers, right? Because you, you you wrote about this recently as well, and we alluded to it kind of in passing when we were talking about Chikrin and the Oilers. But I, I was giving this some thought because a lot's being made right now of, you know, financially, it's difficult to facilitate moves because so many teams are up against the cap, at least teams that would conceivably want to make an upgrade. And so everyone's kind of trying to like a crew cap in the meantime and get to the deadline and wait to see if there's injuries, if they can, you know, get third parties involved, if they, all, all the usual kind of annual trade deadline shenanigans that we see. I think the other thing though, is like, if you look at the way the league is, is, is laid out right now, there's been a lot made of, Oh, well, you know, teams saw what Connor Bedard did, at the world juniors. And so now they feel extra motivation to get rid of everyone they can and fully tank or sooner than they probably would otherwise to try to get a head start on increasing their lottery odds. And I guess my question for that is, is that really true or feasible? Because a lot of these teams that are, would already be doing that are, are already so bad that I don't think necessarily trading players that have already helped them be this bad is going to make that much of a difference. And also what, there's nine teams right now out of the 32 that are just completely out of it, right? And then I think you can realistically make a case that none of the other ones are going to be that incentivized to make any drastic moves. Like, we'll see with the Blues, right? When O'Reilly and Tarasenko come back, what like where they're currently at. They've won a few games here recently, so they're at least hanging around on the fringes. They're not in full blow-it-up mode, although I, I think they will be motivated to trade those guys. But beyond that, it's like, I guess the red wings as well potentially but they kind of like the guys they have are the guys they have they already made a big push and spent in spending this summer to sign these guys longer term so they're kind of just happy to i think be competitive this season i don't what are the big kind of structural changes around the league that's gonna you know kind of totally change the current environment for for trading i think yeah I, i guess i guess my thinking is and maybe this is just me being like, well, this is what I would do if I was the, a GM of like the Nashville Predators or whoever, you know, where it's like, well, if I have like a, you know, 
15% chance to make the playoffs. But if I don't make the playoffs, I can maybe get up to like a 7 or 8% chance of getting Connor Bedard. I guess I'd if, if I'm a GM and it looks like I'm not going to make the playoffs anyway, I guess I'd rather maximize my opportunity um to 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 get like the this kind of like generational like uh, franchise defining talent that you know you just aren't going to have access to if you're a fringe playoff team 99.9% of the time, right? So like you're right that a lot of these teams like are bad with the guys they have, but you can always get worse. You can always call up, you know, like replacement level players are not even worth like, uh, you know, like a guy you call up from the AHL or there, there's always a worse player out there that's making more money that you can take on to, to help you. And, and that's kind of how I'm thinking about it just because it does seem like we've seen a little bit more reporting from like insider types that like, like you said, the, the the performance Bedard put up as a 17-year-old at World Juniors kind of made some, some teams go, maybe I do want to tank. And it's too late for them to be like bottom five or whatever. But even if you can get into the bottom 10 or 12, like, well, you know, you, you have a X percent chance to to get that guy. And if you, especially if you're the kind of team that can maybe get an extra first round pick out of it, then then you even have more flexibility to say to yourself, well, uh, you know, I can, I can try to maybe move up in the draft. I don't know how feasible that'd be, but you know, I, I just think there's a little more that you can, in the in the way the GMs usually try to talk themselves into. We can be playoff competitive if I, if I just get player X. It's now more like we can be Connor Bedard competitive if I get rid of player Y. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I'm looking at it right now. So is it top? or the bottom 11 teams have like an actual chance to get the top pick. I think it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it looks like it. And, and so it's, yeah, as long as you're in that group, you have at least a 3% chance, which is obviously yeah. better than nothing. Um, I guess here's a, here's a kind of complicating factor though. One of those teams right now is the Florida Panthers. Right. Who, who don't, don't have, have their, their pick. first round pick. Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. they're not gonna, I mean, just to save face, even if it's already a sunk cost, they're, they're going to go full steam ahead. Not that they, they, oh, they, they have they, to, that, that, that's a different discussion. I mean, they me. don't have the, they don't have the flexibility to even be a buyer necessarily at this point, but they're not going to like trade away guys to make themselves worse. Uh, the predators, a team you mentioned would be an ideal candidate for that. Unless the player they're trading is UC sorrows. I don't see a world in which they get bad enough to be in that conversation that he like, agree, he's, totally he's so good yeah. that he's single-handedly going to keep them in the, in the middle of where you absolutely don't want to be, which is like 14th best odds. So you can't even get a top three or four pick. Um, And then the Sabres are another one where they're going to miss the playoffs probably because of the Atlantic division and the state of it and how good it is. But, you know, not only are the vibes good there, but also they don't really have players to trade. No, they do not. The team is so young and guys who are part of their future plans. like, all right, what's Victor Olofsson going to net you? I don't know. Not much. But I guess my point is that, like, if if you look at it right now, St. Louis is twelfth from the bottom in uh, in terms of points percentage. Yep, and they're not that far ahead of the the Red Wings. Um, and so like, I could absolutely see St. Louis just going, man, eh, who cares? You know, 
um, forget it. We're 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 just gonna we're gonna sell O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Nicole and all these other guys like you know that that are on expiring contracts and yeah, like it kind of feels like a lost season in St. Louis anyway. So why not like really lose it? Yep. And and, and get first round picks for these guys who are valuable for sure. But like, are they even coming? Like, obviously Tarasenko's not coming back. I don't I don't expect O'Reilly to come back. And so, like, trying to stick around and maybe claw your way back into the playoffs because, like, you're looking at Edmonton and Colorado and go, well, we're not much worse than them in theory, or we're not doing that much worse. But, like, you know, Florida, I I think eventually it'll just, they'll just kind of figure it out on on special teams and, and move out of the bottom 11. And that just opens up a spot. But the, the rest of the teams in the bottom 11, like, I think they're pretty locked in there. Philly, Ottawa, Vancouver, Montreal, yes. San Jose. Like, so really there's like maybe two spots in the bottom 11 that you could reasonably drop into. But like, I, I think if you're the Blues or the Red Wings, like, that's worth pursuing if you can do it. Because why not? I mean, the the Canucks are the highest leverage team here, right? Where, oh yeah, like, they stink. But they, they stink can... and they have valuable play like players teams would want, Bo Horvat. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like they they have meaningful ways to make themselves actually worse. Yes. Believe it or not, as bad as they've been so far. And the number one pick is literally a local kid. It's like who is a huge Canucks like, like outspoken yeah. Canucks fan. Yes. Not like not like, you know, I'm sure Connor McDavid grew up being a Leafs fan, but like the year before he was drafted, he wasn't going around going, you know, what I love is the, is the, the Toronto Maple. Whereas Connor Bedard is constantly going. I love Tanner Pearson. Everything about Tanner Pearson is the coolest thing in the world to me. And it's like, but you're Connor Bedard. Yeah. Don't say that. Yeah. You know, like, and so for the Canucks, like all this stuff about, you know, Oh, we might, we might make a move to to do this or that or whatever. Like I would just be an absolute sell everybody mode. We'll take back every bad contract you have. The only guy we want to keep is Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. You can have everybody else. Just give us your first round draft pick this year. We And we don't care. Like absolutely they should be trying to bottom out. Um, but because they're the Vancouver Canucks, they never will. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, Pretty much everyone has seen the light at this point, except maybe the people, the people who could team. actually facilitate it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um. All right. Well, that's kind of all. I, all I had here. I guess we can we can sign out as well. I was going to ask you about uh, I was going to ask you about the new Avatar movie because I know you've been talking about it a lot. I'm I'm actually going with our pal Thomas Trans tomorrow, Hell so I'm yeah. looking I'm looking Hell for yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um. Do you have any takes on that? And also, uh, yeah, it's incredible. Stuff. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, I guess the question is, did you like the first Avatar movie? I did. Yeah, I remember it was actually. Uh, it was quite. An, it was quite an experience. I think it was like the first three D movie I saw. Mm-hmm. Are you so seeing this in like three D IMAX? All that. Of course. Stuff? Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm gonna be like, good. I want to pay as much as I humanly can for the best possible experience here. So I think you're doing this the right way because I heard from people who were like, "Well, I saw it in two D and I didn't really like it." And it's like, yeah, you saw it wrong. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. You know. Um, but yeah, I. You know, I'm totally in the tank for these movies, so like maybe I'm not the best. Like I think James Cameron is like a top seven or eight director, period, all time. Like I could I could go on forever about like why he's he's so cool 
And but like, yeah, like I, I had it as I think my number three movie of the year. I I don't know I don't know how much better I could I could put it than that I saw like sixty five movies in theaters or something like that last last year wow and uh, this was this was top three and I was like do I want to really make it top two and I couldn't get it there but like I, I was blown away like it's three plus hours it flies by it really does um, and it makes you feel stuff that like you just don't feel in big blockbuster movies like this. Have you tried? Uh, have you tried pitching EP Ringside on on you know how we're doing? Like we're running Cam Robinson's like mock draft version one point mm-hmm. for the twenty twenty three class. Of you doing like draft boards for for the next year's movies? Uh you know I haven't pitched that. I don't think it would go over well. But yeah. also like every mock draft, they'd be like, "This guy's taking Piacon number one again," and it's like, "Well, you know, he's been through a lot." And he's still he's still he's still performing at a high level. This will be a joke you get like tomorrow or whatever. Yeah, you'll get this joke. I love it. All right, man. Well, this is a blast. Um, plug some stuff. Where can people? Uh, yeah, out? EP Ringside. Yeah. Do we uh, have any promo codes it. for it right now? I hey, I love EP is always right there. That yeah. that's if and that's you like thirty percent that off well, or something, right? Or three. It, well, no, months? it's it's if you sign up for a year, they you give three you three months. fifteen months. Uh, for the same price basically oh, wow. you use the okay. code. Nice. i love yeah, ep yeah. all one word and you've so you've got your mullet arena mm-hmm. deep dive there wrote about the others that we talked about i uh i had a big piece on on jack hughes and a big one on uh on david pasternak who, two guys uh, i wrote about this week and i was oh, mad because i wrote about pasternak yesterday and i saw your uh your story like in the publishing thing and i couldn't link to it uh. because it, it had not published yet yeah, well, it just went up now, so people should check it out before yeah. the ma- before he becomes incredibly rich. I already read it; it's good. Oh, thanks, so, man. Well, subscribe, and and you can read mine and Ryan's work, and also check out the the great work of of people like Mitch Brown and, and David Saint Louis, who I keep talking about deserve to be much bigger. So hopefully, you'll check them out and become fans of theirs. Thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO Cast. As always, Ryan, this is a blast. We're going to have you on soon. We're going to be back tomorrow with a mailbag to close the week out. So until then, you're listening to the Hockey PDO cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network.